there. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome to the Creative Vault. Come join me on an adventure as we unlock and discover the secrets of creative success. Let's get started. So this is the part two of my conversation with Almira. This is a short but jam-packed episode, and I hope that you will enjoy. And two, and you know what to do. We go one, two, three, four, two, three, three, and a three, two, three, four, and a four, two, three, four, one. jump into your stint as a primary school music teacher being the only primary school music teacher first of all respect right like the level of respect (laughs) that goes into that i can i can't imagine i i literally cannot imagine how difficult it is for you to be able to teach what how many students do you see well so the thing is the only reason why i can be the only music teacher is because my school is unusually small so we've only got about 400 ish kids Mm. So, which sounds like a lot, but it's to actually other been... schools, which has like thousands or even yep. two thousand, it's very yep. small. Yeah, yep. Mm-hmm. But I know all their names. I know all four hundred names. Yeah, and you have a very interesting way to remember their names, right? So someone asked me a great question, which is, how do you remember all their names? Or do you remember yep. all their names? And I do. And I think some people use fun games, name games mm. like Active Almira, Mary, mm. Maybell. Mm. You know, I don't do that, but. For me, I just learn their names at the start of the year and I make sure I use their names in every conversation that we have. Or when I call a kid, I don't just say the boy there because a lot mm. of teachers do that. Boy there, girl there. I say, so I'm so sorry, I forgot your name. Can you tell me what it is again? Ah, okay, Maybell. Uh, Maybell, what is your answer mm. to this question? And if, I, I also tell them that what's more important than knowing their names is pronouncing it right. Definitely. Yeah, so yeah. I tell them, please correct me if I say it wrong and they will correct me. Mm. They will yell at me. For kids at that age it's important for them mm. so I, of course i will make sure i get it right mm. yeah you mentioned that quality does not equate to quantity so like you gave a case study of 11 kids being in a single class uh but these kids can come from especially challenging backgrounds and makes it very you know difficult to teach mm. to what degree do you adjust your expectations you have a lesson plan. For example, I, if I teach all the P6s, I have one lesson plan. But mm. you have to adjust it for every single class because every class is different. Yeah, you, you always adjust. Mm. You cannot keep using the same plan for every class because it's definitely going to fail. Mm. Or it's going to be too easy for a lot of classes and then they feel unmotivated and, mm. and disengaged. Mm. Always, always adjust. What does a successful class look like for you? Ooh, what does a successful class look like for me? It depends on the class. 
It depends on the class. Like there are some very, very challenging classes behaviorally that have like a lot of kids who just do not have the self-awareness or the self-control mm. to stop themselves from yelling out vulgarities or fighting or kicking or punching. So a successful class is when they are safe and nobody has hurt anybody and I don't have to report any incidents to the form teacher. If there's no music making going on, but they are safe, yeah, I'm fine with that for those classes. Then there are other classes who are way beyond that and they can actually do the work. And for me, it's I have one P6 class who's very bright and very smart, you know, and very quiet, you know, hardworking. Mm. Then the question is, how do I get the artistic boys out? Yeah, they can play the chords, but... Um, then I'm, now I'm doing a songwriting module with them. Like, okay, let's get their voices out. How do they feel about PSLE? So they're all writing blues songs about, 12-bar blues songs about PSLE <laughs> right now. But yeah. But so, I, yeah, yeah, definitely. But I, think, but I think it's also really important for these kind of lessons to be happening at the same time in their curriculum because it's an outlet for them to release stress. Yeah, and that's why sometimes the successes are not defined by the classes. Mm. Like, um, there is that pen-tapping kid that I post about sometimes. This kid, it's amazing, by yeah, the way. There's yes. This, there's this boy. Well, a couple of boys but this boy in particular was mm. a really good sense of rhythm um, and he doesn't have percussion instruments at home so mm. he only has his pen so he pen taps um, and in class he's really horrific yeah really horrific to, 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 to teach mm. and so the classes are unsuccessful in that sense but then I see him one-on-one I make music with him one-on-one or I listen to his pen tapping one-on-one and for me that's a success that relationship is mm. a success so I had that relationship with him he acts up in the class because he feels he has to project a certain image to his classmates but I know he knows that he's more than that so yeah the successes are are, are in but also outside of the classroom there's always a misconception that you guys leave school early yeah primary school uh, people think wow 120 the bell rings teachers ding, can ding. go home <laughs> Damn, <laughs> no. I mean, sometimes you can. There are sometimes you can. Mm. First of all, we come in at six forty-five. Okay, so <laughs> way yeah. too early. But anyway, there are days we can go home at one twenty. But most days you have too much work. You end up staying at like four thirty, five thirty, six thirty, which is what twelve hours at work. And then you go home. People mark. I don't mark, but other teachers do. Yeah. So the work goes on. Yeah. So thank mm. calls. It's, it's, it's funny that you mentioned marking because I am a dance instructor myself and today's teacher's day, right? So my brother, like my whole family, I come from a family of educators. So my whole family was just sharing stickers and gifs of like happy teacher's day and stuff like that. I think my sister mentioned to me saying that, uh, oh, you don't mark papers and therefore you're not a teacher. I felt awfully triggered by that shit. Okay, and I was like, just because I don't mark papers doesn't mean I'm not a teacher. I correct bodies, I correct movements. Thank you very much. Yeah, assessment but takes all assess- forms. Yes. yes, assessment really takes all forms. It takes different requirements and different... And in fact, it's harder, right? Because for the arts, there's no right or wrong oh, yeah. marking scheme. So so you, how do you know what is a good or bad movement or Precisely. good or bad music, right? Technically, yeah. there is no bad or good movement. Okay, no. Let, let me put some constraints on that. Obviously, if you're doing movements that causes harm to your body now, obviously that's bad you know but the idea is that we want to practice in a safe manner that en- enables you to grow stronger and learn a little bit more about the style and I think for me that's what's successful but anyways it's not about me so um, alright so, so yeah second misconception we don't mark because we do mark just in different forms exactly <laughs> so assessment in a different way yes. it's very very important it just takes different forms yes. right definitely we just don't use red pen to mark our papers yes 
uh, I sometimes use like my laser eyes to like correct. I've, I've I've laser red eyes sometimes if I see a foot that's like contorted the wrong way and I'm like, why are you sickling your foot? <laughs> Literally, I just stare at the feet and the student knows that I'm talking about her and she just corrects it herself. Thank you very much. So the second one is the inf infamous recorder. Yes, the infamous What about recorder. that? Well, see, everyone, when they find out I teach uh, primary school music, they're like, oh, you just, so you teach recorder, is it? Like, first of all, I would like to say that, okay, two points. Let's address the more logical, less uh, emotional one for me first. Uh, I, 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 can, I can feel a mirror's adrenaline. Yeah. Okay, which is first more logical. We do not just teach recorder. In fact, okay, in the past, in our primary school days, yeah, there was a lot of recorder. Um, first of all, it's cheap. It's cheap, it's accessible, it's fairly easy to play. It, it, it teaches you breath control, right? And you can play melodies. Uh, but we don't. In fact, um, uh, lately, sc schools have been given more autonomy to teach um, different kinds of chordal and melody instruments. So a lot of schools now, yes, they do still do recorder, but some schools like my, my own school, we have opted for ukulele as our both melody and chordal instrument. Or other schools will have like um, xylophone and guitar or keyboard and um, recorder. You know, it's, it's, it's quite a lot of options. So number one, no, we don't just do recorder. But number two, even if we did, so what? Right? So... In Sota, as mentioned, I learned the recorder and I have the utmost respect for it because when played in the right hands, it sounds beautiful. Um, also, you would not like the sound of someone holding a violin who has only had 10 days of experience mm -hmm. or like two years of experience. Mm -hmm. it, the violin's going to sound awful, similarly on like a cello or a flute even. So why would you think that um, someone who's only been playing the recorder for like, you know, once every mm -hmm. week at music class is gonna do justice to the instrument. It's not the instrument, it's the player. So I would suggest people look at musicians like Michaela Petri or Tally Rubenstein. Tally Rubenstein has a very good YouTube series called Tally Jams New York, where she goes across like 10 different episodes to different bars or pubs or jamming sites in New York. And she actually brings her recorder with her. And people are like, what? A recorder, but this is like, you know, a pub and we only play guitars or whatever. And she jams in every different like blues, jazz, soul, rock. She jams on the recorder. Check it out. Tally Rubenstein, Jams, New York. Damn. Yes. I will put that in the <laughs> notes of this podcast series. My recollection, playing the recorder. Okay, it was, it's really funny. Whenever we play the recorder, I feel like a sense of community comes in. Because for, for me, when we were primary 5 or primary 6, it was 11 or 12 years old. And for me at that time, music teachers would teach us how to play national day songs on the recorder that's difficult yeah so we i remember it very specifically in one morning assembly session we <laughs> practice we, we 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 practiced this for like months okay we put in the hard work but none of us actually like knew what to play and i actually appreciated having a strict music teacher back then she really cared about the notes she really cared about all of us playing it correctly she was like if all of you if one person plays wrongly, it ruins the melody. And you get that kind of vibes. So I distinctly remember playing Home on the recorder. It was, it was, it is profound, it's formative. And we even played Chan Mali Chan on the recorder. How do you feel about that now that you're in the position as a music teacher? Well, first of all, I don't subject to my... Well, okay, first of all, we don't play recorder in mm. my school, but even if we did, I would really try not to subject them to this. Mm. Mass. Uh, 
I mean, there's many ways to make a community of recorder players sound good. Mm. Even young young musicians sound good. Give them parts or just have a really beautiful tune. Mm-hmm. And I suspect overblowing home like mass is not gonna help the situation. So yeah, I feel ho- I feel I feel sorry that <laughs> that people had to sit through that performance. <laughs> That's how I feel. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 like I said, right? It developed a sense of community yeah. well, within I mean, us. Okay, so this is the this is what I like. See, so so I'm part of a lovely Facebook group called Recorder Enthusiast Something Something Something. <laughs> so no, like you laugh, but it's amazing community wise. So there was uh, I did a lot of stories about this on Instagram. There there were some so wholesome um, sharings by random people around the world. There was this guy from Turkey actually, and he was sitting in his car in his van, and he said. Hi everyone, his caption was, Hi everyone, I am a refrigeration technician or something, some fridge technician. Uh, I, I don't know music very well, but this is a, I like this this Facebook page and this is a video of me playing this Turk, famous Turkish um, song on the recorder. Please enjoy. And it was so, and he was sat there, eyes closed, jamming on his recorder in his fridge truck. And it was so wholesome, you know, and everyone was commenting on what, tune is that like that was beautiful sir like which part of Turkey you know this kind of thing and there was another guy this guy from I'm not sure which part of Africa but there's a whole community of recorder players in Africa who I think are also like with the they play in the church or something so they play all this gospel and blues and soul on the recorder wailing away Mm -hmm. and they have their own communities and so no you're totally right that it's not about the instrument I mean the instrument is one way one access point into the community and for some people like this fridge guy he doesn't play any instruments but he has the recorder it's affordable and it's his way into a musical community just like for some people it's violin in an orchestra or kong wong yai in a thai ensemble right definitely so i validate your your thank you thank you for validating my experiences i would not want to hear that i I think looking back on it now, I look at it fondly because okay. it actually made me some really good friends afterwards. It was just the the drilling. Didn't, right. didn't appreciate the drilling back then. But I understand because it was actually for a morning assembly and it was like, okay, we've practiced this and now we're going to perform it. Like, so the entire, my entire cohort, like all like 200, like 400 of us, played it together Ooh. you can only imagine how it sounds like Ooh, yeah I'll, I just, don't want to I'll just i'll just paint that picture I'll, I'll leave you as that and we'll continue on with the common misconception so the third common misconception is what you teach as a primary school music teacher right so one of the things which you mentioned was that you were personally interested in culturally responsive and relevant pedagogy. When I first joined this school, I really struggled with um, classroom management and engaging the kids with music because a lot of them don't feel that music is for them. Art was not so bad because the art, a lot of them, I don't know, it's very individualistic, so they're all occupied and they can do what they want individually, but music is quite community-based, so we kind of have to do one thing together. Mm-hmm. So it was really hard to engage them because they, a lot of them are not really exposed to music making at home, mainly sports. A lot of them do sports, football, floorball. So I was just racking my, my, I was just thinking, what can I do to engage them? And I realized that I didn't think that the textbook we had ordered kind of served their needs. Yeah, so I discovered, I took a trip to the Esplanade Library, which is amazing, and then I came across a few books about culturally responsive or also known as culturally relevant pedagogy. Um, yeah, which just basically looks at how, you know, you can make your subject um, 
yeah, relevant. It's what it says it is, relevant to your kids culturally. And that doesn't have to be, oh, you're Latino or, oh, you're Malay, so we have to play some Malay music. No, it could be, oh, you're of this generation where, like, um, the kids now are listening to Rick Roll, or they call it Rick Roll, we know it as, you know, never going to give you up, right? They love it, so that's their culture, right? Okay, so then how can I use that as an in to... You know yeah. the music lesson. I see. Yeah, that's so just just having that bit of engagement. That CRP. Mm. So do you introduce K-pop? Well, I haven't been there yet because I don't really like K-pop, but I'm working on it because <laughs> my teacher just keep asking me when they're gonna learn K-pop. So I know I should do it. Hey. I did play Dynamite yesterday, so I'm getting there. Oh my god, that is funny. I hear it a lot. I have a lot of students dance to that song. I enjoy how upbeat and lively it is. But when you've heard it for like the hundredth time, it, just, it gets, you know, droning, mm. for lack of a better word. Mm. Or like, culturally relevant pedagogy would be like, I know there are two kids in my class who don't like music, but they love hip-hop mm. and they love beatboxing, and they're very good at rapping and beatboxing. So I did a hip-hop module with them, mm. and then I got them to beatbox and to rap and do, do, do their own rap. And then these kids were like super engaged, and, and they felt valued in the class. Nice. Being able to create a safe space for these kids, especially if they come from challenging backgrounds as well. Because mm. I imagine that the home environment is also isn't very safe for them, and that's why you know they come to school and they, they try to find an outlet where they can just discover themselves without being lashed at they want to be seen yeah. they want to be seen and it's about finding the right music and the right lesson to help them feel seen and mm. help them feel good at the end of the day like I think I mentioned in the story music teaching is not about the concepts like oh, I yeah. really don't care whether they know what I've taught them yeah. but did they feel good doing it that's what matters Definitely, I, I empathize because I teach kids ballet. Mm. I'm teaching like three, four, five I was girls. one of those kids. Hey, yeah, I very quickly realized that it's not about teaching how to point their toes. It's not about teaching them how to stand like a ballerina, although that is part of the training, but it's teaching them skills, more, more mutable skills like teamwork and communication and discipline, and discipline definitely. Yeah. So all of these little softer skills, right, that comes into play. And I think that's where the, the bridge of understanding between like parents um, versus, you know, the kids that goes for these classes where we also have to educate the parents on why it's relevant and important for us to be able to teach these because it's not just about the skill, it's about it's about everything else that comes with the package. Yeah, the dispositions, the everything. Everything. Yeah. Did I cover all of the common misconceptions? Are there any other common misconceptions that you want to, you know... No, but like if this thing goes out and people would like to comment on a misconception, I can address it. So go for it. <laughs> Keep the common misconceptions going, and I will address them all. Definitely, <laughs> definitely. You can use this. You can oh use well, this. I guess the common misconception is that it's easy. Yeah, mm. that's what I want to address. Well, a lot of people think if you were university trained, so that trained, why are you doing primary music? Because it's easy, or anybody can do it because there were people in the past who taught music who were not trained. That's our past in Singapore, right? It's not easy. It's a different ball game to secondary school. Like I think I mentioned in the Instagram story that in primary school, your lessons have to be like songs. What I mean by that is that if you have to write an essay or a song, an essay may be difficult. May sound difficult because there's many words. Maybe there's like jargon and all that. It's just a different way of expressing it. Mm. In primary school, your lessons have to be like songs because they have to be concise, short, um, and you know, three minutes. I mean, you know, 
something accessible that they can feel and get in their bodies. And that's not easy to do. It's a diff- it takes a very different set of skills. Mm. Yeah, you can't just stand there and lecture. You yeah. have to disguise learning through play. And that is not easy. How do you do that? Yeah, I mean, like, for example, like, if I want to teach my kids how to hold their mallets properly, um, I could go the route of telling them, teacher talk, okay, hold your mallets here, make sure there is a little bit sticking out, hold it firmly, put them here. But it's going to go in and out. I want them to experience it so that they internalize it. So I would be like, okay, echo after me, please. please echo after me, please. And then I go like, mallets up. Mallets up. Caterpillar up. Caterpillar And then they're up. moving their hands up the caterpillar, then caterpillar down. Caterpillar down. And then like, Wakanda. Wakanda. And then like, so like, we're, we're doing all sorts <laughs> of actions. But the idea is that by the end of the silly actions, which have an intention, yeah. they're intentional, mm. they hold their mallets properly. And they have fun doing it, they're laughing. And because they're laughing and having a good time, yeah. they're engaged and they're doing it. And then they get it. As compared to do this, do that, they're going to zone out. Mm. So yeah. It's Definitely. not easy, it's just a different ball game. And I have respect for people who write stories or write songs or do TV programs for children. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I think you also mentioned that when you were considering your internship, your th- uh, three-month internship, mm. you didn't consider secondary schools at all. Yeah, I never considered. So after SOTA, I had time before university and I thought what can I do to work and I thought doing this teaching internship at a, pri- at a school mm. and I got, I got to choose what secondary or primary and I never thought of secondary mm. I don't know why I don't know why mm. um, maybe it was I was too close to the age when you're 18 <laughs> it's weird to be teaching 16 year olds yeah I can imagine teaching know. kids like teaching people yeah. of our age that's yeah. kind of weird yeah but it was getting there in primary school that's when I realised I didn't really want to be in primary school because mm. You know, that six-year-old boy I met at a relief class said, I can't draw, I can't write, I can't do anything. And it's like, but you're six, and you think that way, then what are you going to think when you're 16? So I realised that issue had to be addressed young. Mm-hmm. Yeah, had to have a sense of, start giving them a sense of self when they're young. What do you hope the kids to get away from your class? Be it feeling, be it skill, be it... Like, what do you want their impressions of you to be? Yeah, I, I always... So sometimes when the kids bicker, the line I always use, which they sometimes repeat, is um, what kind of world do you want to create? Or what kind of world do you want to leave behind? Um, and then I tell them that, like, look, I think I'm, I'm trying to impart on them that, like, it's not about the skills, but, like, mm-hmm. music is fun because you are creating something out of nothing. You are making something happen, and you're making people feel things through music. And so I tell them that, just like music in life, like, you may not want to pursue music, but music's teaching us that, like, you can change feelings, you can change your feelings if you're upset. Play a nice music, or, or make up your own song, or dance with a friend or something, mm. and that makes you feel better. But similarly, like, the arts can teach us how we can create, the, make the world a better place. I know it's cringy, but, you know, at that level, I think they need to hear a message like that. Mm. Yeah, so, so every now and then when they bicker, a kid is like, hey, shh. What kind of world do you want to make? That's actually really... That's actually really... Um, that's pivotal. Because uh, because kids learn firstly through bio-observation. So they would learn through mimicking the adults or the former... Like the role models in their life. They even like mimic friends mm. as well, right? It's like they're like absorbing sponges. And I think having very intentional words, like what kind of world do you want to create, it's really important to to their perception 
Like, okay, what kind of world do you want to create? Do you want to create a world where people fight all the time, or do you want to create a world where you can feel happy mm, and learn how and to learn how to agree to disagree? Yeah, definitely. Do you have any other examples? For example, so like, what kind of world do you want to create in? Do you have any other like catchphrases that you teach the kids? Don't be a lazy musician. <laughs> Not as inspiring, but I say that a lot to the point that the what, kids say that too. What does that mean? A lazy musician. So basically, a lazy musician is a kid who does not listen when they play or does not listen to the ensemble when they play they just anyhow whack or when I'm talking and they're talking I call that being a lazy musician not taking turns um, yeah I think the message I want to give across is that music is not just fun play only like you gotta there is like this new habits mm. of mind there is thinking to it there is discipline to it so I say I don't want any lazy musicians in this class yeah mm. so that's a phrase I use and then I also get oi don't be a lazy musician. I'm like, oh no, what have I created? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we sometimes look back at our choices, uh, being like, oh dear. Yeah. yeah. So that's one I've been using quite a lot. Regularly. Oh my gosh. <laughs> was, that, was that the kind of terminology you also created for yourself when you were learning? Or did, was, it, was it like someone told you that and it stuck with you? Or did you just create that? No one really told me this, but I think it was a, a part of the culture doing music in Sota, which is a lot of discipline, mm. especially with our first head of music, she would go around the practice rooms and peep in and find out how we're practicing, not just whether we're in there, but making sure that we're practicing smart, not just practicing hard. Mm. Yeah, so there was always that culture of knowing. I think Sota taught me that, you know, mm. artists work hard and work smart. Yeah, you don't just go by feeling. I feel creative today, I'm going to make something. Oh, I don't feel creative, I'm not going to make. Like I said before, it's about showing up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, also often get questions from young dancers in conservatoires where they're like, I feel shit today, I, my body's not in the right condition, how do you take care of your body to make sure that you don't burn out and stuff like that. And the first advice I would always give to such um, demographic of uh, students is to show up for your work so it doesn't matter if you had a shit day it doesn't matter if you you know forgot a movement in a sequence but you you were there you took the time you took the effort and you took the grind hmm. the grind to um, hone your craft and I think that's more important and more significant than someone who doesn't show up at all hmm. I would call that lazy, to mm-hmm. be honest. Because if you don't show up for your craft, how can your craft help you? Mm-hmm. So that's that kind of... It's, it, it's, it's, a, it's a co-working relationship between your craft and your uh, persona, I guess. It's how you develop as a, as a creative. Yeah. Mm. It doesn't have to be good. It just has to be done. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it just needs to be done. But I think that's also but but there's also a subconscious pressure for coming from, you know, the students themselves, okay, being being like, okay, if I want to create something, I want to create something good. Mm. I think that's also a mindset that I had to grow out of, mm. especially coming from a school where you are literally being graded on what you create. Mm. And therefore you feel this necessary pressure to create something well mm. to create something like oh my god revolutionary but then at some point perhaps I'm, I'm i'm also i'm also there as well where i'm like you know what creating doesn't have to be stressful all the time it's just how you feel in that moment and what kind of actions do you want to take to you know address it yeah yeah i think that's also very important. What are some other advice or what other other tidbits you have received from your mentors 
or even mus- like music role models that you pack away with you? Mm, advice from music mentors. Don't listen to any advice. Mm-hmm. Is, the, is the advice mm. I think I was again going back to Yvette Young she has these amazing like monthly streams on this app called Together um, and then um, yeah someone was asking about her advice for something and then she said the advice and then she said but don't you shouldn't listen to anyone because what I like about Yvette Young is that she's very revolutionary on her guitar in terms of techniques she finger picks on her electric guitar which is already fairly rare she uses open tunings which is a bit rare as well but it's just a whole style it's very lyrical so she's in she does math rock but in a very lyrical beautiful way mm-hmm. informed by her classical music upbringing but also informed by her as an artist because she was an artist before she was a musician like a visual artist yeah so she brought in all these different like dimensions into guitar playing and so you know a lot of people were like oh you can't do that on the guitar you gotta use a pick or you gotta do that you gotta do this and yeah she didn't she just did her own thing and trusting her instincts to do that made her become this like beautiful guitar goddess that she is today that's so unapologetically her so yeah honestly like (laughs) listen to advice consider it think mm, I could do that and then do what feels right to you <laughs> mm, definitely yeah. I also get that advice a lot of not listening to any advice mm. like I think a dance mentor of mine uh, once told me if you find yourself asking people for advice then you're asking the wrong question mm. Mm. yeah you uh, I was always advised to go back to the beginning mm. so go back to the studio fumble it out if you need to, rant it out if you need to, but always come back to yourself. Because mm. your voice is the most authentic voice that can ever mm. be. Like, you know, you, you can only express yours, you can't express other people's. Yeah. Or rather, I'd say like, yes, go out, listen to lots of advice. Oh, yeah. Because I think also there's a danger of like not listening and then you're just in your own echo chamber <laughs> listening to yourself. I mean, that's dangerous too. Mm. So I would say, actually, yeah, go out, listen to lots of different advice, come back and then think, do I need all of that? Maybe you do. Maybe you really don't. Mm. Yeah, but you need that going out. Otherwise, mm. yeah, the real ex- world is going to be small. Exposure yeah. is very, very important. Mm. I always tell my students as well, take as many people's classes as you can. Don't mm. stick to one teacher. And that is why I took Maybelle's dance class. <laughs> Even though I looked like a complete fool, oh fumbling around the contemporary dance. No, it was fun though. <laughs> it was fun. Like, I, like it was... <laughs> It was very interesting for me because I had to readjust my approach mm. and my practice to be able to keep it accessible to bodies that has very like very minimal experience. But I would say all of you did really well. Uh, like I was, I was really inspired by the end of each session. Honestly, mm. just yeah. thanks to the teacher. And yeah. uh, my guy. <laughs> Happy Teacher's Day, everybody. So, <laughs> all right. Just before we kind of put everything into a close, is there anything else that comes to mind that you want to share? Mm. Or anything we haven't discussed that you want to share? Um, Not advice. I would just close by saying that it's... um For a teacher, a school teacher, I found it really important to make sure I nourish my my creative soul um at first i used to be going just school home school home because that is the the reality of the job but like now i feel it's a bit crazy because i'm taking on a lot because mm. i'm also a music budding music writer at baby it's for the espinate baby it's festival congratulations yeah thanks so like we're being mentored by like music writers like a music writer at mm. the Straits times and um 
it's crazy because I'm working and then on Saturdays I go for these um, sessions but um, it's important to make time to nourish your creative soul yeah yeah definitely so I get to spend time with heavy metal on Saturdays and then BB Bumblebee on Mondays to Fridays <laughs> and that's great you the, definitely the, do the, that the contrast and the versatility yeah. between because you gotta feel as a teacher you have to feel like a person yeah oh yeah oh yeah because the, the yeah primary school music is a monster that is a fact yeah so yes nourish find ways to nourish your creative soul how do you nourish your creative soul by like you know finding opportunities like this babies program where i can meet people meet different people outside of work and um, get to know different musical cultures like i know very little about like the alternative rock Mm. scene in singapore so that's a first for me or you know like going for molly malone sessions jamming um on tuesday nights school nights um that's also another way to let out my creative energy mm-hmm. doing a little bit of songwriting every now and then I write strange songs so that's also another way um, yeah and being creative at work as well like with the spiders and the kids definitely fi- fi- finding play in every little uh, pockets yeah that you can you can find yeah well this is <laughs> this, this has, has been, been a great. marathon <laughs> this has been this has been a long ass marathon but I've learned a lot from this session uh, thank you thank for you. sharing. Thank you listeners for listening. <laughs> cool. Oh, 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 oh. Before we leave, if you had to gift the listeners with a piece of music that you really would like them to listen the moment they log off this podcast or whenever they have time, mm, which one would it be? It would be... It would not be a piece of music. It would be to follow Yvette Young's Instagram because I love her music, I really do. I love her band's music. She plays in a band called Covet, but the best bits about her are her Instagram where she plays solo guitar. Mm. Yeah, all where she creates riffs. She she had her her music is her music riffs are just so beautiful and creative. It makes my day. Every time I hear a new riff by her, I smile and I know that life will be okay. So please follow Yvette Young's Instagram. Awesome. Man, she should pay me for that. <laughs> <laughs> I wish it was a sponsor. Hey, just before we leave on this episode, if you ever feel so compelled to do so, feel free to give the Creative Vault's Instagram page a follow. The link is in the show notes below. Till then, see you in the next one.